Hello, sports fans, and welcome to Let Me Speak, the show that shares sports' biggest headlines explained, uninterrupted, and maybe a little audacious. I'm Joe Braverman, and today's topics we'll be discussing are... With the U.S. not as dominant as once before, which Olympic result and headline has been the most surprising? Plus, who should be the biggest buyers and sellers ahead of the MLB trade deadline? And the teams to keep a close eye on during the start of NFL training camp. It's episode 33 of Let Me Speak, and it starts right now. What is up, everybody, here on Thursday, July 29th, 2021, episode 33 of Let Me Speak. Thank you for joining, and today is a very special episode because for the first time, if you're watching us on YouTube, you get to see a visual likeness. You get to see what I actually look like. Yes, this is sort of my recording studio, if you like to say. It's just my bedroom, but we've made a couple modifications to it. But this is very exciting. It's been all audio. You've only been able to listen if you've tuned on to anywhere. Now if you go on to YouTube, you get to watch and kind of see the gears turning literally in my head as I'm speaking. And just pointing out some features here. You can see over my shoulder right over here is a very special poster. It is the uh, Make Your Mark softball tournament which goes on in my hometown of Northborough and that's actually me if you could sort of see it me in the green shirt that's next to my dad who's next to my brother who's next to the great Mark Fidrich the legendary softball or uh, MLB pitcher former Cy Young winner if you didn't know who he is just google him and you'll get to learn all about it if you don't know about him already and then obviously, you know, you got to get the you got to get the game going on right over here. Got the mini hoop going on, but it's very exciting. I'm really excited to get this thing going. Finally get to almost feel like talk to all my listeners out there because I've only been talking to myself, but it feels like I'm actually talking to some people right now. So, you know, enough of the introductions. Let's just get right into it and obviously everyone is talking about the Olympics which has been going on. It's been about a week since the opening ceremonies happened on Friday. And I got to tell you, there are a couple of moments that might be a little bit surprising. I mean, it's no surprise that the U.S. is still in a great spot in terms of medals. I mean, their first overall in total medals, I think they have like seven more, I think, seven more than any other country. But they're third in total gold medals, which... I don't know. I guess to to me, at least, it seems kind of surprising. And it just seems like athletes who were once dominant and teams who have been, you know, dominating over the past number of years, uh, they've been dethroned. That's that's the biggest thing. You know, I mentioned it last week with uh, U.S. men's basketball. You know, you're seeing it with women's soccer and all of that. So it just it feels different. And like I said last week, it's a different kind of Olympics. So. It's, it's really just a different kind of atmosphere out there. But obviously the biggest headline in the U.S. at least is the greatest gymnast of all time, Simone Biles, pulling out of virtually all the gymnastics competitions. Out of the, She started by pulling out of the team and then pulling out of the all-around individual events, citing that it was a mental health. And we actually found out just a few short days ago some of the reasoning, not just the mental health, but there's this thing called the twisties, which is basically a body, you know, I don't remember exactly what the definition was that uh, Biles gave, but it's just you have an involuntary spin or something like that, and things can go really wrong. But really just everyone's talking about the mental health kind of thing. Because, you know, there are some people who, you know, everyone's going to respect if, if they say it's mental health. In this day and age, everyone's going to say, if it's something mental and taking on mental health, 
go ahead. No one's going to blame her. No one's going to blame her if the headspace wasn't all there. That's really the biggest the biggest thing is that because she cited the mental health, which no one's going to question that it is because no one knows Biles better than Biles herself, you know, no one's going to question it except for the dummies out there who think, oh, she, she pulled out for selfish reasons, which is absolutely ridiculous. I think, you know, it, it's still hard to form a conclusion around this, but I think, you know, she's just too good. I mentioned the greatest gymnast of all time. I'm going to make that claim. I don't care what other kind of arguments there are, but she's just too good, you know, because the team did win silver. I'll give them credit for that. In the all-around team event, they won the silver, but I just think she's too good for any other gymnast to really pick up her slack. Because if you've seen the videos leading up to the Olympics, she's been blowing everyone away. She's been doing like double backflips with two full spins or three full sprint spins. It's unbelievable. And that's why it was kind of surprising to see her pull out of all these events. You know, we're only we're only able to judge like what we see rather than what goes on behind the scenes or what goes on in her head. So I'm not blaming Simone Biles at all for pulling out if it says it's about mental health. But sometimes that just happens. It's one of those things. Everyone has a bad day. Unfortunately, it was on one of the biggest stages in the entire world, not just the U.S., but the entire world. And it, it just sucks to see Simone Biles because I think, you know, if you ask other countries, you know, there's such some kind of camaraderie that says, like they wanted to see Simone compete. I think that that was the biggest thing is that they wanted to see her compete, which obviously is going to suck if she's pulling out and you're not going to be able to see that. But again, the mental health is number one. It's the number one thing. And if Simone Biles wants to pull out and sort of do that sort of thing, then I'll be it because mental health in this day and age, you know, 10 or 20 years ago, people would say, just strap up and, and go out there and compete. Strap up and go out there and compete. That's not what it's like this day and age, you know? There's the old saying that your dad says, rub some dirt on and get back out there. That's that's not the case anymore. Not in this day and age, which is really, really going to, it's really going to be tough. But again, we're not really going to know unless we hear, you know, some behind the scenes things if someone was watching Piles in warm-ups or something like that. So, you know, it, it was shocking. It was definitely shocking to see and hear that Biles will pull out. But, you know, there are good news for, you know, the U.S. US gymnastics. I mean, they they just won last night. Sunisa Lee winning the women's individual all-around. So, I mean, credit, credit to her for doing that. But... Again, the thing with Simone Biles is I, I still can't form a perfect opinion on how this goes or my total reaction to it. I react that Simone Biles is totally in her right to be able to pull out if it's a mental health sort of thing. But in terms of, you know, the impact, if it should have happened or not, you know, it's different because if she came back in the individual event, then you'd say, OK, maybe it was just a bad day or maybe it was selfish, you know, any kind of those points. But the fact that she pulled out of virtually all the events kind of makes you think, okay, this is a mental health thing. And, you know, people should stand by Simone Biles because she, she's already done so much. Look at the last Olympics. She absolutely dominated and made herself into a superstar. So I'm not questioning Biles at all for, for pulling out credit to her for even speaking out about it. So, you know, that's, that's the Simone Biles, but... Outside of Biles, I'd say in the last Olympics, another American who was just as dominant was Katie Ledecky. I mean, to see her in this Olympics, in the 2021 Tokyo Olympics, compared to Rio, is is pretty shocking to me. You know, seeing her get the silver to Australian Ariane Titmus in the 400-meter freestyle, I gotta say, yes, it, w it was shocking, and it was kind of shocking to see Ledecky get fifth place in the 200-meter freestyle event but I think the the reason why it's kind of dialed down is because a lot of people were predicting this or they were saying don't be surprised if Titmus comes in because Titmus 
was basically stride for stride in the qualifiers when you hear it from people who were watching. I mean, Titmus is kind of that up-and-comer, and there's always that, that one guy or that one athlete or that one woman who will step up and be able to take on the challenge and, in this case, dethrone the champion. And obviously, it has to do with the environment that's going on in in Tokyo, you know, so... You know, no fans, you know, normally when you get in these gymnastics and swimming events, there's, you know, a crowd, there's your family support you on. There isn't that at this Olympics. There's basically no one else out there. So to see Katie Ledecky kind of get dethroned, you know, it kind of hits you because she was so dominant in Rio that some were maybe expecting all golds for Ledecky. But I mean, this is this is usually what happens when a when an athlete is this dominant they kind of fall off, you know, it's like a Michael Phelps where they're super dominant, then they're not as dominant, and then eventually they retire or whatever. So, you know, this is nothing new. This is nothing new in Katie Ledecky. You know, she's still she's still one of the greatest swimmers out there right now. You know, the fact that she was still able to win the 1500 meter and get a gold in that shows you that, okay, it's not a seat fall off it's not a steep fall off at all but I gotta say the most shocking to me was the skateboarding street competition I know what are you thinking another skateboarding back-to-back weeks are you kidding me yes because skateboarding finally makes its debut in the Olympics and we've they've got four different competitions they've got men's and women's street and then next week they've got men's and women's park so they had the street contest and five best trick runs and obviously if you're following the skateboarding world Nigel Houston you know he skipped the x games which is what I talked about last week he wasn't in that street contest he skipped the x games just to keep preparing for this olympics right here and you gotta remember he's the world number one in street skating and he finished seventh seventh place now when you look at the scoring, they start with the two 45-second runs, then they go into the best trick. Houston was doing okay in the 45-second runs, but just that best trick wasn't able to come around. I mean, he had a half cab, 270 heel flip lip slide, which is essentially 270 degrees spinning, flip the board with your heels, and then land in the middle on the rail. And he just could not land it. You know, if you're going for a gold medal like this, then you probably want to just do stuff that you know you can land, okay? We don't know if Houston had practiced this or anything like that, but this is a guy who's won 10 or more gold medals, okay, at the X Games. And he was ultimately the one that the U.S. was banking on to win the gold in this event, and that was not the case as it went to Yuto Horigomi for Japan. And I got to say, Horigomi, he earned that gold medal. I mean, he got three best trick scores above a nine. And one of the best tricks I saw was a nollie, which is where you jump off the front of your board, 270 with the nose slide. That nollie 270 nose slide was unbelievable. It's like you're playing Tony Hawk Pro Skater. But to to see Houston kind of struggle the way he was, you would have thought maybe he would have gotten a medal in there. I mean, thankfully, Jagger Eaton was able to get a medal for the United States, getting himself a bronze behind Brazil's uh, Kevin Hoffler. But to see Najee Houston just struggle the way he was, we hadn't seen him struggle like that in a very long time. You know, when you, when you look at X Games like that, he's still able to come up with silver medals and stuff like that. Matter of fact, the last X Games competition he was in for street, Horigomi beat him for the gold medal in the skateboard street competition. Credit, he did win the best trick competition later on back in 2019. But Horigomi has now the last two times beaten Houston in a straight up competition. So, you know, maybe it's the downfall for Nigel. I don't know, but I got to tell you, it's been very shocking and surprising to see all these Olympic events go on and to see the results. And there's still a whole week left to go. So there's plenty more that can still happen at the Tokyo Olympics.
next topic is going to dive into the MLB, and it's one of the most exciting times of the year for any sport, really. It's trade season. Trade deadline going to happen this Friday, 4 p.m. That's when all trades can be made. And we've seen a few deals so far, but we really got to figure out and we're going to start to realize who are the buyers, who are the sellers, and what teams really need an upgrade to take that next step. I mean, we've seen a few deals so far. The Oakland A's getting Starlin Marte, which is, I think, a really good move for them. Brewers picking up Eduardo Escobar from the Diamondbacks. But really, I wanted to dive into what the Yankees did just last night, acquiring Joey Gallo. Now, I will say that it's a good move to get a lefty in that lineup because their lineup is all righties, basically. And I understand they're dealing with a lot of injuries. They had the COVID situation a few short weeks ago. But still, this this is a team that is not going to make the postseason. You know, I don't know why the Yankees continue to see themselves as buyers instead of sellers. I get their two and a half games out of that second wild card spot. But come on. You've got the Blue Jays coming. You gotta chase the Mariners. You gotta chase the Athletics. I think the Athletics are a better team than the Yankees. So I don't really see New York turning into a postseason team. I don't think they they really have a chance. I really don't think that they have a chance to get into the postseason. I think what you see right now with division leaders, the Red Sox, the White Sox, and the Astros, those are your division winners. And then I think the Rays and the A's are going to make that wild card game in the American League. So, sorry, New York. You know, it's good to get a lefty in that lineup, but you're still not going to make the postseason because you still have all righties and your pitching sucks. Absolutely sucks. But obviously, the biggest name that is still out there on the market is Max Scherzer. I mean, if you've got a guy like Max Scherzer out there, like that should be. Half of the league should be wanting to get him. If any team thinks they are in contention to chase after a postseason spot, you go and get Max Scherzer. Now, we've heard a lot of discussion from Max saying that he would waive his no-trade clause because he's got that in his contract, and he would do that for a West Coast team. And immediately when I read that, the light bulb went off, and I'm thinking the Dodgers, the Giants... And the Padres are going to be after this guy. And you got to remember that LA, San Fran, and San Diego are first, second, and fourth, respectively, in Team ERA in the entire MLB. So I think all three of those teams are going to be buyers, I know for sure. And if I were the general manager for any one of those teams, I would have my eyes set on Scherzer. This is a guy where I think if either of those teams gets them, they will be favorites for the World Series. I ultimately believe that. If one of them is able to acquire Max Scherzer, then that would be my World Series pick right then and there. Because you have to look at what the what this team has. For LA, they've still got a great lineup. They've got Muncie. They have uh, Cody Bellinger. They have Mookie Betts. They have so many weapons on offense and in their lineup. And then their pitching is just as good, obviously, with Clayton Kershaw and then Walker Bueller. Obviously, you know, if they were to get Max Scherzer, that'd be a one-in-one-out for Trevor Bauer because we don't know the situation with that and when and if Bauer is going to return to that L.A. team. That's what you see for the Dodgers. For the Giants... We already know their pitching is phenomenal, and they will get that much better if they get Scherzer. I mean, led by Gosman and DeSclafani, you get Scherzer in there, automatically throw him into your number one. You know, really in in the postseason, you need at least like four starting pitchers, you know, to get to get through some games. So if three out of your four are all stars or almost all stars, that's a great move for a Giants team who people are still saying are the underdogs in that Western division, obviously because the Dodgers and the Padres are in that same division. But then speaking of the Padres, for San Diego, you know, they confused me a little bit in acquiring Adam Frazier from Pittsburgh because he's a second baseman, but they already have an all-star second baseman 
with Jake Cronenworth. So there's going to have to be a lot of moving around. If someone's willing to play the outfield or play first base, that's really what it's going to be for the Padres. But I think, again, just like them, they've got some pitching questions as well. They obviously get you Darvish at the top of that one. But you have guys where you, you know, you traded for Blake Snell, who recently won an All-Star or a Cy Young award, and he's got an ERA over five. So maybe getting Scherzer would just tighten that up. But if you ask me, those three teams, they should all get some kind of starting pitcher. Even if it isn't Scherzer, they should get it. Like a Kyle Gibson or a uh, Jose Barrios, you know, from Minnesota. Those are, that. that's a key for those three, is getting a starting pitcher. But I got to say, just one more thing on Max Scherzer. Your farm system is going to have to be cleared out out cleared out because you know the nationals are going to ask for a high price for a guy who is a future hall of famer three-time Cy Young award winner they're gonna want the kitchen sink Washington is they're wanting they want everything for Max Scherzer because he is that good of a team now the other team that's really making waves ahead of the trade deadline, are the Chicago Cubs. Because they've got four all-stars, solidifiers. And right now, when you look at the standings, you know, they're sub-500 in a tight central division. I say tight between second and fourth place. I mean, they're still 10.5 back of Milwaukee, who's leading the division. They're 50-53, and And some are calling for them to be sellers. And they've got a lot of pieces to sell. Chris Bryant, Craig Kimbrell, Anthony Rizzo, Javi Baez. All of those names have been brought up in possible deals. Now, any team making for a postseason run, you want to get some bullpen help. And who better than Craig Kimbrell? Yes, he's kind of fallen off a little bit. He's not sort of in that closer role. And I don't know if he would be in a closer role depending on what team he goes to, like if he were to go to the Red Sox, you know, he might be like an eighth inning guy to set up for Matt Barnes. If he goes to the Mets, you know, does he go into the closer role? Does he go to the Athletics even? I think those three teams are probably the best shot to get Craig Kimbrell. Now, there's there's still plenty of teams out there that could go after him, like the White Sox or something like that. But I think Kimbrell has to be the most desired option out there in terms of bullpen help now of the other guys you know we'll talk about Anthony Rizzo and his link possibly with the Red Sox in a little bit Javi Baez I don't really see him going anywhere because that's really who you want to build your team around he's he's still pretty young you know he's he's not as old as Chris Bryan he's someone you can kind of rely on I I don't really see Javi Baez going anywhere Chris Bryant, though, is a very interesting choice, though, because he is a free agent after this year. And I got to say, there are a lot of teams that could use his services. You know, I kind of thought of one, um, and this might be a little surprising, but a sneaky team that could get Bryant are the Phillies. The Philadelphia Phillies could make some moves. I mean, yes, they're 50 and 50, but they're only four games back of the New York Mets. Now, their pitching, obviously, has been the biggest question, but if you get Chris Bryant at third base, put him there with Bryce Harper, with JT Real Muto, Reese Hoskins, all of those guys, because when I watched the Phillies during the Red Sox, I thought their offense was great. I thought they played great, and I think if they make a postseason run and they get into the postseason, that's how they're going to do it. But to get Chris Bryant would be absolutely huge for Philadelphia to really capture and get the New York Mets. Because the Mets, you know, you could say they're doing subpar to what people expected out of them. But if they're able to grab Bryant at the deadline, they could catch him and even pass him. I'd even go on the record and say that if the Phillies get Chris Bryant, they'll win the NL East. They will win the NL East, depending obviously on what the Mets do. But you know, it's very it's going to be very interesting to see what Chicago does. If they're going to let all of these guys go, if they're going to trade them, if they're going to hold on to them, we'll have to see.
But then there's one more team that I kind of thought about could be a real sneaky buyer team, and that'd be the Seattle Mariners. I mean, keep this in mind that Seattle was the worst team in the entire majors not too long ago, and now they're only two games out of that second wild card spot. So that would be very, very important for the Mariners to really just get someone to to solidify that lineup because they're just finding their everyday lineup. They've got Corey Seager. They had Ty France, Mitch Haniger, so on and so on. But if they get another bat in there and maybe even another starter, I think they could really challenge Oakland. Not like New York is going to challenge them because I think Seattle is really going to challenge Oakland if they can catch him and if they make some kind of move. So watch out for Seattle. They could be a team that might be able to pull off some moves that no one expects. All I know is whatever sport it is, when it comes to the trade deadline, madness is sure to be expected. Up next, we got to talk about the NFL training camps just getting underway for basically all teams. I mean, the preseason starts in a week. We get the Hall of Fame game a week from today between Steelers and Cowboys. And then the preseason slate after that. It's only three games, 17 games, 18 weeks. But obviously, it starts with training camp. And obviously, Everyone can't stop talking about Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. All eyes are on Green Bay because Aaron Rodgers and the Packers finally had concessions. And for once in a really long time, we finally got to hear Aaron Rodgers' side of it. So just listen to this or if you're on YouTube, watch this and listen to what Aaron Rodgers had to say. A lot of things that transpired. This wasn't uh, you know, a draft day. Uh, thing you know this was uh started with a conversation in february um that the season ended and i just expressed you know my desire to be uh more involved in conversations directly affecting my job um also uh, i wanted to help the organization maybe learn from them some of the mistakes in the past in my opinion about the way that some of the uh, outgoing veterans were treated, um, and just the fact that we didn't retain uh, a number of uh, players that I felt like were core players to our foundation, our locker room, high character guys. I'm talking about Charles Woodson, Jordy Nelson, Julius Peppers, Clay Matthews, Randall Cobb, James Jones, uh, John Kuhn, Brett Good, TJ Lang, Brian Balaga. Casey Hayward, Micah Hyde, guys who were, you know, exceptional players for us, but great locker room guys, high character guys, many of them who weren't offered a contract at all or were extremely lowballed, or were, you know, maybe in my opinion, not uh, given the respect on the way out that guys of their status and stature and high character deserved. Um, and then it kind of progressed from there into a commitment for the 2021 season and beyond uh, that really wasn't uh, given at any time. So for me, I had to assess the situation, not necessarily wanting to be a lame duck quarterback, especially after an MVP season, which I think you can understand. Um, and then the other part uh, in, in February was wanting to be a part of conversations involving free agents, uh, which has never happened in my career. Um, you know, I've, I've trained with a number of NFL guys most of my career in the off seasons. Um, my agency at the first has had a number of high draft picks over the years. Uh, I've tried to pass along information. Um, hasn't really been uh, used, shall we say. Um, so I wanted to offer my services as a recruiter, you know, uh, and I think we can all understand, you know, Green Bay isn't, a, uh, you know, a huge vacation destination. People are coming here to play with me, uh, to play with our team and, and knowing that they can win a championship here. 
And the fact that I haven't been used in those discussions was one I wanted to change moving forward. And I felt like based on my years, uh, the way I can still play, that that should be a natural part of the conversation. Um, as that progressed from that point, nothing really changed on that front. Uh, so we got into March and the conversation changed. Um, as I felt like, uh, if you can't commit to me past 2021, and I'm not a part of recruiting process and for agency, if I'm not a part of the future, then instead of letting me be a lame duck quarterback, if you want to make a change and move forward, then go ahead and do it. Um, that obviously didn't happen. Uh, like I said, it wasn't a draft day thing. There were conversations for uh, a number of months leading up to that. Post the draft, I think what basically happened was then they said, uh, you know, we'll, we'll give you some, we'll give you some money now. Let's see if we can throw some money at you. I said from the start, it wasn't about the money. I got to be honest. That was very honest. That was very real. And basically everything I got out of it is that he wanted to be involved in more decisions. And the conclusion I'm making is that unless they win the Super Bowl, he's not coming back. He's not coming back. And even if they do win the Super Bowl, there might not be a chance he does come back after that. Okay? So this has just been a tainted relationship that is ultimately set up to fail. And pretty much since February until now, Green Bay has become so dysfunctional. I mean, talk about the discourse in the Packers locker room. I mean, Devontae Adams is going to get a contract contract extension from somewhere it might not be green bay obviously the concession about randall cobb making his return and the relationship with matt lafleur what is going to happen with this packers team what is going to happen i have no idea and how into it is rogers going to be i mean both sides had to compromise how into it is he going to be or is he going to sabotage things and ultimately, like, the Packers miss the playoffs or something like that. I mean, I'm never going to question Aaron Rodgers and his talent or anything like that. Because when he's into it, he's one of the best. He's probably the best in the game in some people's eyes. On me, it's still Tom Brady. But Aaron Rodgers, how invested is he going to be in this team? Because if he's got the mindset of, after this year, I'm gone, like, regardless, if he's still, if his mind is made up, unless something doesn't change... He's out of Green Bay. He's going somewhere else. This is ultimately going to be his last year in a Packers uniform. And then obviously there's still one more year left on the contract after that. But he, he can still request a trade. He can still request a trade. I ultimately do believe that this is Aaron Rodgers' last year. Because I don't think the Packers are going to win the Super Bowl. I don't think so. After this, there's going to be dysfunction. There's going to be... A whole lot of mess, not only in the front office, but in the locker room. It's going to be chaos for Green Bay. And there are going to be so many eyes locked in Green Bay and in that locker room pretty much the entire year. Until that Packers season comes to an end, there are going to be questions about, after they lose a game, was Aaron Rodgers into it? What's the relationship like in the locker room? We don't know that until they get into some game action. So, I'm ultimately... It's going to be entertaining, I'll tell you that. It's going to be very entertaining to see what happens in Green Bay. Because sometimes dysfunction can be a good thing. It can be a very happy thing. You know, sometimes it's entertaining. For those who are not involved in the situation. But I ultimately do think that this Green Bay team is going to be an absolute mess. They're going to be an absolute mess. You know, I, I still think they'll win the NFC North. You know, unless something crazy happens with the Bears or the Vikings, you know, I still think Green Bay is the favorite, but regardless of what happens, Aaron Rodgers isn't going to be back in Green Bay in 2022, I'll tell you that, but outside of Green Bay, I would say the biggest team also to watch out for are the Saints and the New Orleans Saints because they're basically starting a new era really at the quarterback position because it's an ultimate competition. I really think so. I know that Jameis Winston was re-signed, and there are intentions of him being the starter. But look at what Taysom Hill did last year in Drew Brees' absence when he was starting. You know, he completed almost 73% of his passes, almost threw for 1,000 yards, four passing touchdowns, 
And then obviously he's just dynamic in the run game. Eight rushing touchdowns and almost 500 yards rushing. So he's got that flexibility. And I still think he's going to be that option. But if Jameis Winston struggles at any point, any point, then Taysom Hill is going to be that starter. And he's proven himself to be a capable starter. I mean, if you ask me, I would have started Taysom Hill over Jameis Winston. And I think one of the reasons Winston is given the shot is because he's a number one pick and he's still, he did have a year where he threw 30 touchdowns, but he also threw 30 interceptions. So you're kind of going on the bank that he can be the number one pick that he was seven years ago in 2014. Or he can, he can be that number one pick from a while back, but it doesn't really help though that Michael Thomas is going to get ankle surgery and he's going to miss the start of the year. That's not a good thing. And obviously you saw, if some of you saw it, head coach Sean Payton was ranting about why is the surgery now instead of back in June or whatever. Again, that could cause a little bit of friction. We don't know that. We don't know. But I think it, it's really going to be fascinating to keep a close eye on that quarterback position in New Orleans because, you know, if Jameis Winston go somewhere else, that shows you that the Saints are ready to hand the keys to Taysom Hill. But that's clearly not the case. They re-signed Winston with the intention of him being the starting quarterback. But we don't know if he's going to be that good. You know, It does help that they have got a great running back in Alvin Kamara, which helps with the offense. But still, we don't know what Winston is going to be like. We didn't see enough of him in the Saints uniform to really get a gauge on it. So we'll have to see what he does this year. And if there's going to be a real competition battle between Winston and Hill. I ultimately, again, I'll say it, Taysom Hill is my pick to be that starter for the Saints. But you never know. You never know with head coach Sean Payton. You know, he's one of the best coaches out there right now in the NFL. So no one's going to question any kind of decision that he makes. But then one other team I really want to keep a close eye on are the Dallas Cowboys. I know it's going to sound like a broken record, but the headlines go to Dallas because there is a $160 million question right now out there. And that question is, how is Dak Prescott going to be after his injury? Okay. People have said so far in training camp that he looks good and that he's, you know, he does have a little bit of a shoulder strain, but he says it's nothing to worry about. But it's not so much like how he feels physically. You know, it's the physical and the mental effect. That was not a good injury. Okay. You have to wonder if he's going to be comfortable doing what he did in the past, you know, rolling out in the pocket, you know, scrambling for a couple of yards if you can't find anybody. Is he going to be a little hesitant now? Because before the injury, he was playing great. I know the Cowboys didn't have a great record, but he was playing great. He was playing absolutely great. And I think if he is like his old self, the Cowboys will for sure make the playoffs. Because I think Prescott is one of those guys where he makes everyone around him that much better. I mean, you look at the QB carousel that Dallas had. You know, Ezekiel Elliott wasn't the same. Amari Cooper wasn't the same. So, you know, that's a lot. It's a lot out there. And then, obviously, Mike McCarthy had to step in and get a hold of his locker room. And they almost made the postseason. Almost made the postseason with so many quarterbacks going around. You know, one of them being Andy Dalton. But, you know, with a healthy... Dak Prescott, if he's like the way he was before that injury, then I think for sure they will make the playoffs. I still think the division is up for grabs, depending on what happens with Washington, if the Eagles get any better, or if the Giants get any better. I think I still think that division is up for grabs, but I think for sure the Cowboys are going to make the playoffs if he is like that. But I mean, the defense is going to decide if they're contenders or not. You know, offense was fine even with Prescott out, but defensively they were one of the worst teams in the entire league so what is that defense going to be like this year how is the number 12 pick in this year's draft Mike Parsons going to fit in is he ultimately going to be a leader I think for right now he might be a contender for defensive rookie of the year and then obviously on the d-line you got Demarcus Lawrence you have uh, Diggs in the secondary you know how how much better is this defense going to get or are they going to get better at all because they might get worse you know their number one pick was Micah Parsons at linebacker. So, you know, it shows you that they did address the defense a little bit. But if it's going to be effective, still remains to be seen. 
And what's funny is that there's so many other teams that I could have listed out there, the Patriots, the Steelers, uh, the Giants, the Eagles, you know, so many teams have so many training camp questions. And I got a feeling that by the time the regular season rolls around, some of those questions are finally going to get answered. But it will be exciting once again to see football back on your TV screen. the show is everyone's favorite if you're in the new england area it's our let's get local segment of the week and there's a lot to talk about i gotta tell you and we'll talk about three of the four teams but just a quick note on the celtics because the nba draft is tonight and they've only got one pick in the second round so they're not going to get a cade cunningham or an evan mobley or something like that so really the offseason is coming down to trades and free agency for them but That still won't start until August. You know, there are rumors about Bradley Beal, but we'll get into that into a future episode. Right now, we have to talk about the trade deadline with the Red Sox because obviously they have needs. You know, looking at where the standings are right now, they are in first place. And this is a postseason team. But it's also, you know, Bloom has the history of thinking about the future more than thinking about the present. Because remember, he was with Tampa. Tampa wasn't really that good until last year in the shortened season. Now he's with a high market team in the Red Sox who are already postseason contenders. They're tied for the with the Astros for the best record in the American League. So, you know, this team has to make a move. But it's got to be a move where you're not compromising the future. And I think High and Bloom knows that. I think High and Bloom definitely knows that this is a team where, yes, you can go out and get some pieces, but you're not going to sell everything out to upgrade because that's what Red Sox teams have done in the past. You know, there are only a handful of guys who have come up from the farm system, you know, like a Xander Bogart, a Mookie Betts, you know, even a Jackie Bradley, just to name a few guys. And High and Bloom dedicates himself for that you know these are a lot some of them are homegrown guys some of them are you know just minor signings in free agency that's the biggest thing and that's that's what this team is sort of built around you know for the future and I think that's what Bloom is trying to do is he's trying to keep it's, it's a tough role because you have to keep the future in the in the rearview mirror you also want to keep that going but you also got to think about the present and the present really really is um is really interesting because in the present you need a starter you definitely need a starter but it's hard to gauge about it when you have chris sale returning to the lineup you know you look at the guys they have now minus sale you have about six starters because you called up tanner hauck and you still have nathan Evaldi. you still have rodriguez you still have pavetta perez and richards so if you throw in chris sale then you ultimately take out either Perez or Richards. And then when you bring in Tanner Houck, you bring out the other guy. So it's really going to be interesting because I actually did get an alert that the Sox are eyeing Braxton Berrios. I did just get an alert that the Sox are eyeing Berrios, Jose Berrios from Minnesota, and Max Scherzer. They're eyeing him, and Scherzer would even say that he wouldn't mind going to the Red Sox. So just imagine that kind of rotation with Sale in the lineup. So you have one of those two guys. You have Sale, Ivaldi, Rodriguez, and probably Nick Pavetta would be another starter in there. And Tanner Houck might be that floater in between the bullpen. Because I think you can't lean on Martin Perez. You can't lean on Garrett Richards. Those guys are just, they haven't been good. Yes, they've been making the starts, but they're just too inconsistent they haven't been what the Red Sox have been asking for so it'll be really interesting to see what the Red Sox do in terms of the starter market I do think they need an extra bullpen arm regardless of who it might be I think you know I mentioned Craig Kimbrell that price could be too high you know to to get after him from the Chicago Cubs he might need to give up a lot but I mean the same thing could go for Max Scherzer or the same thing for Jose Barrios 
But obviously the big rumor is Anthony Rizzo from the Cubs to get an upgrade at first base. That's the biggest one. Because, you know, some people are saying 50-50. A lot of people are linking the Sox and talking with the Cubs about it. Because these guys do have histories to Chicago, you know. They gave up Nomar Garcia Parra in 2004. They sent him to Chicago. Obviously, Theo Epstein won a championship with both guys. Obviously, he's not there anymore, but there's still that relationship. Now, personally, if you ask me, first base as an upgrade is not urgent for the future. You know, So you're only getting, this is a first base rental because it's clear that Bobby Dahlbeck still needs a little bit more time to develop. He still needs a little bit more time. Remember, this is only, I'll call this his first year because even if he had any kind of action in 2020, it was a shortened year. It was an odd year. This is really his first year. I like to call it his rookie campaign. But I think the asking price has to be perfect. I think it has to be perfect for the Cubs. How much of your farm system are you willing to give up to make this kind of upgrade? Because I think Anthony Rizzo, you know, right now, with Chicago, he's having a subpar year, but, you know, he's not going to be a guy who's asked to do too much. He's If he is gets traded to the Red Sox, his goal by others is going to be, listen, we just need you to be in that lineup, play good defense, and just get some hits. We're not asking you to do too much. We're just saying we want you to just be yourself. You don't have to be the focal point or a leader like you were on the Cubs, because you already have great leaders in Martinez and Bogarts, Devers, Verdugo, etc. So, you know, if they were asking for a major leaguer, I'd throw in Danny Santana. I wouldn't mind getting rid of him, because you are going to get Marvin Gonzalez, who's a good utility guy. Kike Hernandez can play multiple positions. You know, if you had to throw a major leaguer in there, if if the Cubs wanted it, I would throw in Danny Santana. But, you know, we won't know until tomorrow because that's when the the deals really get going on. So we could be seeing Anthony Rizzo as a part of the Sox, the team that drafted him. We could see another starting pitcher. We could see a bullpen arm. There are a lot of things that we could see by the time this episode comes out tomorrow. But the Red Sox, while they're waiting to make the big moves, the Boston Bruins have already made some big moves. I mean, Free agency for the NHL just started yesterday. It was day one. And these these are the moves that the Red Sox, or these are the moves that the Bruins have made so far. Okay, they've traded Dan Vladar. They've re-signed Mike Riley. And they've signed forwards Nick Foligno, Thomas Nusik, Eric Halla, defenseman Derek Forbort, and goalie Linus Olmark. Okay, so this is showing me two things. It's showing me two things with this team. Number one is that they are looking for depth. They are looking for depth because it has to be behind this perfection line. We've seen how much was put on that first line in the postseason, and it clearly did not work. It did not work at all. So getting all of these guys, getting Felino and getting Nusik. You know, they're second and third line guys. Obviously, you re-signed Taylor Hall. That's another thing. He literally just signed a contract, agreed to a contract the day after this episode went out. So I'm not even throwing him in there, but I'm talking about everyone else. Getting that depth is absolutely huge. Getting all those forwards and getting the defensemen. You know, I still think they might need just maybe two more defensemen, something like that. But... Ultimately, ultimately, depth is the most important thing for this team. And that's what they did by doing all these moves. That's number one. And number two that I'm seeing is that the signs are showing that Tuka Rask might not be back. He might not be re-signed. Now, you got to remember, he's got a torn hip, Labrum. He's getting surgery. He won't be back until January or February. So does that hurt his free agency market? Absolutely. Absolutely, he is not going to get as much money as he once was by delaying this surgery until whenever it may be. But I mean, if you're getting Linus Allmark and you're trading Dan Vladar, you know, that could be on the assumption of, you know, Jeremy Swayman is your number one and Allmark is your number two. That's ultimately what could be the case. 
Now, Sweeney has said he's not ruling out re-signing Rask. But I don't know. I don't know. A lot of questions. A lot of questions. And I got to say, it, it, it would be really tough to put Swayman in that kind of in that kind of situation, you know. If you were to re-sign Tuka Rask, you'd really make him earn it, earn his opportunity. And he'd get more consistent playing time as a number two. And if you're ready to put him as number one, then you only sign Rask to a short-termer. But I don't know if he's going to look for that. But just to see see the kind of move getting uh, Linus, which, by the way, is a great name, from if you remember the, the show The Peanuts, you know, with Charlie Brown and all that. If you sign Linus Olmark, and you have him as your number two goalie, because I don't know if he would have signed if he knew he was going to be the third goalie. If he was told, we're going to sign Tuka Rask, we expect Rask to be our number one, but until he comes back, you'll be our number two behind Swayman. I don't know if he would have accepted that. It's re- it's it's. I really want to know what Don Sweeney said in the kind of meeting he had with Linus Allmark. Because if he said... We're not going after Tuka Rask. That is a game changer. Game changer. Okay? But, you know, it's only day one of free agency. There's still plenty of moves that can still be made by Boston. But a team that did make moves and is about to get their season underway are the New England Patriots. Their training camp getting underway. And I got to say, if I had a few more teams to list as the teams to watch out for, the Patriots would probably be number four or number five because they made so many moves that they've got to figure out all these positions. You know, obviously, number one is quarterback. You know, are you still going to trust Cam Newton to be the number one guy? Or is Mac Jones going to do stuff in training camp or in the preseason to get himself ahead of Newton and maybe be that number one? I got to tell you, though, I think that question doesn't get answered until the regular season. I think. Depending depending on how this training camp goes, I think, you know, for everything that Bill Belichick has said in the past about Newton, I think he looks to Cam as the number one guy. I think he's your starter at this moment, unless something crazy happens. Unless something crazy happens, Newton sounds like he will be the number one guy. And it's probably going to take about maybe five or six games, depending on how Newton plays, for bill to even consider making a change if he wanted to make a change okay so just just this is the schedule for the regular season okay because we know the preseason they'll play washington philly and the giants but for right now to start the year they host miami they travel to new york to take on the jets they host the saints obviously the biggest game of the last 20 years or so when they host tom brady and the bucks they go to houston they host Dallas. They host the Jets. You know, that's your first seven weeks right now. That's your first seven weeks. I say by that time, by that time, New England should find out who is their quarterback. Who are they going to ride out with this? Because I think this team has postseason aspirations. I think they do. And I think this is a 10-win, 11-win team if everything goes right. But they have to figure out their quarterback situation. They have to figure it out by that time. If not, this team is in trouble. But, you know, quarterback isn't the only question for the position. I mean, who is going to be your number one wide receiver? Who's going to be your number one pass catching option? Because all the guys you signed, they're not clear-cut number ones. You know, Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, Jacoby Myers, they're not number ones. They're not number ones. And depending on how good they do in preseason or in, or in training camp, what are, who's going to be, you know, that first option? Who's going to be in the slot? Who's going to be the, the deep threat? They have to figure that out. They've got to be able to figure that out by the time this training camp gets underway. And also on offense, which tight end is going to be your number one guy? Who's going to be the Gronk and who's going to be the Aaron Hernandez? Or who's going to be the uh, Tim Wright or the Martellus Bennett? Okay, because you've got two guys who were number ones. Who were number ones in their in their in their posts in their past teams? Hunter Henry, number one for the Chargers. John U. Smith was number one for the Titans. Okay. Who is more comfortable taking a step back, saying, you know what? You get most of the routes, 
you take those receptions. You go after it. You know, these are all questions that Bill Belichick and this Patriots team is going to have to answer. But, you know, that's the reason why they have training camp is so we can get answers to these questions. And it's going to be so much fun to once again watch some Patriots football. Lastly, as always, to end our show, it is our LOL moment of the week. And I got to tell you, the minute that this news came out, I knew right away that it was going to be it because it's kind of, you know, it's serious, but it's kind of a little bit of a joke. So I'm just going to get right into it and tell you that this week's LOL moment of the week will go to the Cleveland Indians. Okay, if you've been living under a cave this team is no longer the, the Cleveland Indians. They're the Cleveland Guardians. Okay, starting in 2022, the MLB season, they will no longer be the Indians. They will be the Guardians. And I got to tell you, this name is laughable. Absolutely laughable. Not only that, look at the logo here. I'm going to throw it up right here, but look at the logo. It's Basically, a baseball with the letter G and wings. It looks like one of those basketballs that you edit on Flappy Bird or like the Flappy Hoop. I think that's the name of the app. I'm pretty sure that's what it was called. But, you know, you kind of, when you hear the backstory, you know, it's dedicated to a couple of statues that are in the Cleveland area. But really? The Guardians? I mean, come on. I mean, think about the other names you had. You know, you're home to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You could have been the Cleveland Rockers. I know it sounds kind of corny, but it's better than Guardians. Or you could have been, you know, there's a there was a team in the Negro League called the Spiders. The Cleveland Spiders. You could have gone back to that. Do a little bit of honoring of the past. You could have done that. That's insane. The Guardians is a terrible name. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what Guardians sounds like. It sounds like the name of a Little League team you get when you're nine years old or eight years old, you know? We're the Cleveland Guardians. You know, that that's that's like one of those names that, you know, if you're in a in a classroom and they're like, okay, you're going to split into teams. Give yourself a team name. I'd, um, Let's be the Guardians because we guard our knowledge or something like that. It's stupid. Or you know what it does sound like? It sounds like a really bad comedy spinoff of Guardians of the Galaxy. You know, that's like that's like something that like Comedy Central would make just to spoof Guardians of the Galaxy. That that's what it sounds like to me. It Cleveland Guardians is not going to sound right, you know. You know, you could say, you know, we've gotten used to some other teams like the New Orleans Pelicans, you know. It's still kind of silly, but it makes sense. The Pelicans make sense because it's the state bird. Just, just Guardians does not sound like a major league team. It doesn't. It doesn't. There are some teams that are made to be major league team, like the Dodgers. That's a good name. The Yankees are a good team. The Chicago Bulls. That's a great team. Cleveland Guardians just sounds so silly, so silly and ridiculous. You know, they couldn't. They got it done more than Washington, the Washington football team. Okay, and that's a note. That's a note. If anyone on the Washington football team is listening, don't come up with a stupid name like Guardians. You've had two years to think about this. And if you come up with something as silly as Guardians, that is going to be sad. Absolutely sad. Because I do like I do like that Cleveland kept the color scheme. I like the, the navy blue and the red. I like that sort of combination. I just don't like that. They kept like the same font and just changed it from Guardians to in from Indians. I don't like that. And it's kind of laughable at this change. This change that they made. It's so laughable, you know. When when you see like top analysts at the game, you know, let's go to Tim Kirchner and ESPN. What are you seeing in the major leagues? Well, I'll tell you that the Guardians are playing great. That just doesn't sound right. That doesn't flow. It does not flow, okay? So 
everyone in the marketing department or team ownership, whatever, et cetera, for Cleveland, you get a giant laughing emoji because naming yourselves the Guardians have turned yourselves into this week's LOL Moment of the Week. going to do it for this edition of let me speak thank you very much for tuning in whether you're watching me right now on youtube or you're listening on spotify or apple Podcasts. make sure you follow our other pages on facebook twitter and instagram all you got to do is search let me speak podcasts and remember as always if you've got a point you got to get across just let the whole world know shut up and let me speak